0: That was a mistake oh well <laughs> <laughs> I'll adjust okay my name is Sherry and I'm an alcoholic Hi. can you hear me it's okay and my sobriety date is May 29th 1988 I'm very grateful for that there is a hole. Then is this like a trap door
1: <laughs> I say something
0: I'm not supposed to I just go. yeah okay that's all right there are a lot of people who wish they had those at various times in my life uh, I, to, I do want to thank the committee for bringing me here. This has been a really incredible weekend. I had no idea that I was coming here to find the answer to some things that I've been puzzled about for a while. That I've been asking my higher power to show me. And last night, Gloria started talking about something ever here, and I know that. And then yeah, also, you know, Bill, uh, I have to tell you. You know, Gloria lost her house, and Bill lost his car. And he said, "You know, I hope my kids are at home." And last night, I had a phone call at 11 o'clock from the person staying with my son. Said, "I lost your kid." So, <laughs> Um, she found him. (laughs) I called her uh, just before I came down here because, you know, I I got to thinking about it. So I called her and I said, listen, did you kill him? And she said, no, no, no. She said, I told him how much I love him and how much it bothered me not knowing where he was. And I thought, sure, that's what I would have done, too, you know. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That sounds like me. Uh, So anyway, they're all right. I found my kid. I don't know if you you haven't found your car you haven't found your house. Sorry. I really enjoyed. uh, I really enjoyed the conference up until now. I expect I'll enjoy it again pretty soon. (laughs) And uh, uh, Dee has been just incredible. It's been real sweet to be with her. It's been real nice. And uh, I couldn't wait to hear what you're going to say when you're going. I'm really dreading this. I thought, oh great, and it turned out really bad. And uh, uh, and I have to say also about those baskets. That's the most thoughtful thing I think I've ever seen. I am real impressed by people who can make edible things. And was this stuff that people obviously like really made like real human beings made like recently and didn't package up in a factory or something and I, that was just so tender I was just that was just so sweet thank you very much for that that was a real neat thing this is such a great conference the people you just see all the light in people's eyes as you walk around and all the happiness and the joy this is obviously one of those hotbeds of AA activism and I'm really glad that I got to come here and be with you guys um, I uh, I had a goal as a kid that it turns out not to be a goal shared by a lot of women I didn't know that for a long time, I found that out in sobriety I wanted to be cold hard and mean <laughs> and, uh, and I worked really hard at it and, uh, and I was fairly successful there was a guy in my home group who was there when I got sober and on his third birthday he said that I had a, when I got to AA I had achieved everything he'd ever wanted which is I didn't care about anybody or anything and I didn't have any feelings and uh, that was exactly what I was trying for and uh, when I was little, I wasn't working out too well. Uh, I lived in a chaotic house. It didn't seem chaotic to me. I thought that's how everybody lived. Um, I found out there are houses where people actually like put the clothes in drawers. And, uh, but I had to, you know, be a rent sober for a little while to find that out. Um, you know, it was just kind of how things were. I just didn't think anything about it. There was a lot of screaming and yelling and throwing things and throwing people and stuff like that. And and I was in there. You know, it's not a place where you got to go off and meditate and find serenity. And. Uh, <laughs> And I had a lot of various strategies. My early strategy was just to be invisible. I just didn't want anybody to know I was there. And, and then I found alcohol. And what alcohol did for me was it just set me free. I did not want to be on this planet. And the biggest reason I didn't want to be on this planet was because I just had this madness inside. I mean, I, just this blackness and this madness inside that I couldn't seem to do anything about or do anything with. And when I drank booze, what it did was it just went, you know, and that madness, just, it just pushed it back. You know, it didn't make it go away, but it just pushed it back. And for a little while, I was a little more okay. You were a little bit smaller, and I was a little bit taller, and I wasn't afraid of you anymore, and I thought you should be afraid of me. Now, I started drinking at a young age. I have to tell you that I wasn't very scary to anybody except in my own mind. Um, I, You know, I used to do stuff. I have not understood this until lately. I've never said this in front of anybody, but I'm going to sh- share it now. When I was a kid, I thought I was really bad, and especially when I drank. I just thought I was really bad. And I would do stuff, like I'd be just standing there, leaning against the building, and you'd walk by and there might be five or six of you and you were big and you were men and you'd walk by over there and you'd go like this and I'd go hey
1: what you looking at? come over here and look at that
0: now in that moment that I did that I was the most powerful person on earth I was in control I was in charge everything was cool now the problem is you'd come over <laughs> you know? and you would beat the living shit out of me (laughs) and I can remember on occasion going don't do that you know that's not a good thing to do but I did it over and over and I would do it to people who had authority I would get in the faces of teachers and cops and people like that and and it never made any sense to me until just recently and what I realized just recently was I was so scared I was uh, my sponsor told me about six months ago that I was going to have to become the thing I've always hated which is a sober wimp uh, and I really still think we ought to come up with a new plan. I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> she told me it was pretty much that or drink. I said, okay, sober wimp it is. And uh, But what those did for me was it made me that person I was when I went, hey! And that's who I was in that moment. And I went places and did things. And it just set me free. It made it a little more okay to be here sober, which was not okay right from the beginning. And uh, so I went out and I pretty much did whatever I wanted to do. Um, and what I wanted to do was I wanted to steal and fight and get in people's faces and walk around and, and be tough. And that's what I did. And, um, and I wanted to die. I just didn't want to be here. I tried to commit suicide a number of times. I was obviously unsuccessful at that. And, uh, and I tried some things that I sincerely to this day think should have worked, but they didn't. And uh, those are the things that I was doing. Now you can imagine that if you're doing that kind of thing, living that kind of life, people are not exactly starting a college fund for you. <laughs> I mean no, I wasn't even going to high school um and uh but I would periodically drop in uh, to the school and i was I had a, some businesses going, and I was selling some things at the school I was the back of my truck, and, you know, so I needed to drop by from time to time for business reasons, and I did uh sometimes I would get drunk and go to school, which was a lot of fun uh you'd get in a certain amount of trouble doing that and uh, anyway when I had this English teacher, and for whatever reason i don't know uh she started talking to me and among other things I would come in and she would say said, well she, started, she got me to go take this test and I went and took this test and uh, I came back and she said now look at this see this look you could you could go to college look at this you know here's where you are and here's where all the other people are and all this stuff and I'm like yeah 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 I mean I never knew anybody but her that went to college you know nobody nobody in my family went to college nobody on my street went to college as far as I know if they did they sure weren't going to talk about it you know it was just not like something that we did I never occurred to me to go to college I mean I wasn't even going to high school you know <laughs> So it didn't exactly seem like the next step, and uh, she said, uh, you should go to college. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then it got so I come in the room, and we had this little kind of routine we'd do. I'd walk in the room, she'd say, you should go to college. I'd go, nobody in my family's ever been gone to college. She'd go, you know, you're really smart, you should go to college. I'd go, yeah, 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 and that was kind of our little routine. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of person that if you do something with me a couple of times, then that's how we do it, you know. It's like a tradition after two times, right? so I would come in and she would do that and one day I came in and she didn't do that I came in and she said nobody here thinks you can make it in college and they're probably right (laughs) I could make it she said no I don't think so she said "Uh, they think you're smart enough but you got no discipline I said I could do it so I went to college on a dare (laughs) I was that kind of person you know call me chicken I'd do anything I I have chipped teeth because I drove off a three-meter board through an inner tube one time because somebody called me chicken.
1: All hey, right, watch this, <laughs> you
0: know. And uh, so I went to college. Now I didn't, you know, it was like a come as you are thing for me? Nobody took me aside and said, "Excuse me, <laughs> let's shape you up a little bit before you go." I mean, I just went like I was. And uh, when I got there, uh, they gave me a button that said, "I am a girl." They asked me to wear it. It said people were confused. Um, I, you know, I wore lucky strikes like an accessory. I rolled them up in my sleeve. You kind of have the picture, and uh, that's how I went to college. I lived in a dorm, and uh, my roommate that they assigned to me slept in the lobby because she was afraid to come in the room. <laughs> I really owe her an amends. I hope I run into her again someday. She's probably not hoping she runs into me again someday, but um, you yeah, know that's kind of how I went to college, and I was just down there to settle a bet. Um, I used to say that I went to school on uh, on uh, theft, and uh, well, I did go to school on theft. I mean, I. I uh, also uh, managed to get some money that... Uh, I used to say that I extorted this money, but it turns out it was supposed to be mine. But uh, I had some money that had been left to me that somebody took away from me, and I threatened them and got it back. And uh, so I got that money, and I went to college. And I was, it was sort of interesting. I was working, and I was living on other people's leftovers that they would bring back from dinner. And, and I was just in college. I was just going to be there a semester. And, and something happened to me in that semester that I, I honestly believe today is the hand of God, because had this not happened... I don't think I would have stayed alive long enough to come to you. And that is, I mean, it's the most unlikely thing. Here's this person, street kid, not even going to high school, you know, boosting cars and doing all this. And I'm in college on a bet. And what happened to me was I fell in love with learning. I absolutely fell in love with it. I found that you could make things with words and ideas. You could take like an idea here and a day here, and you put them together and you could see something new. And it was absolutely amazing. And my first experience of that, there was a person named Flo, and she used to stand in iron in the hall and uh, Flo and I were people who would not normally mix (laughs) Uh, but she was captive there she was stuck, she was ironing it was the only place she could be ironing seemed important to her because she did it a lot and I would go (laughs) I didn't have a lot of friends but Flo was there and she had to talk to me, I guess I was better than nobody and I would go sit on the steps and talk to her about philosophy smoke lucky strikes and uh, she said you know she said you're such a puzzling person she said you never study but you make good grades she said you know I think you're afraid to try i said i'm not afraid of nothing she said i think you're afraid and she said i think what you need to do is you need to know and she said nobody else needs to know why don't you secretly study she said why don't you just pick one thing and secretly do the best you can because i think you need to know and i don't know why i did it probably because it was a dare and so i did that it was easy my roommate wasn't in there anyway you know it's like not terribly hard to be secretive about it and i worked on this paper and it was a paper on creativity i can still remember that paper i can still see the cover of that paper And I wrote that paper, and it was while I was doing that paper that I found out about that thing, where you can just think about ideas and put them together and see new things. And it was the most exciting thing, second only to alcohol, that I'd ever found. And uh, way before I ever talked to that professor, something important happened to me. And when that professor got that paper, she called me in. I knew what she was going to do. I figured she was going to accuse me of cheating. The only thing anybody ever called me in for. And uh, she called me in and she said, I always knew you could do this, but I didn't know if you would and I stayed in college and I never wanted to leave it was the most wonderful place I'd ever been it was like a little mini AA experience you know I, I stayed there and those professors taught me things that they don't normally teach you in college they took me aside and taught me to go to the dentist and all kinds of stuff you know how many cookies to take they noticed I was taking a lot more cookies than they thought you ought to with these little things they would have and, and they just taught me a lot of stuff like that
1: <laughs>
0: Listen too, I still don't think that's right <laughs>
1: um they never
0: talked to me about my drinking well they did talk to me about my drinking but i didn't like to listen to that part i listened about the cookies that seemed like that ought to be enough um, so i just continued to drink and if you had come up to me at that time and if you had said to me are you having trouble with alcohol i would have said no i was not having trouble if you said are you getting in trouble as a result of drinking i would have said yeah i am there so are a lot of people around me are having trouble with my drinking you know but it was not a problem for me the reason it wasn't a problem for me and this almost kept me from coming to you is because sobriety was such a problem I, had, I couldn't imagine that drinking was a problem because when I quit drinking I would go crazy. Drinking was the solution for being sober and so quitting drinking never seemed like the right thing. Quitting drinking was the beginning of the problem. That's when the madness would start to come back. And uh, so I, obviously quitting drinking wasn't a good idea and I, and I didn't for a long, long time. And I got out of college. They make you graduate if you stay there one day at a time and uh, so I went to graduate school. <laughs> And I continued to go to school. I have studied a lot of things. It's almost embarrassing to tell you how many degrees I have uh, because I just never wanted to leave and and I didn't. I just stayed in school. I studied all sorts of stuff. And if you do that one day at a time, they give you a PhD and they call it a terminal degree and you're supposed to leave. (laughs) (laughs) I also need to tell you that I haven't found it necessary to take the class since I've been sober. (laughs) I do teach at a university, that might be cheating, I'm not sure. Um, What started after that was, for me, what I kind of like to think about is my get-a-grip period. And uh, I started trying to get a grip. Things were going bad in my life, and I didn't know why. I thought it was because I was crazy. Because I knew that when I didn't drink, I was nuts. And people had always said stuff to me like, get her to do it. She's crazy, she'll do anything. And uh, so I started my get-a-grip period. And I would sometimes move and get a grip. And sometimes I'd stay where I was and get a grip. Most of the time I moved. I like to move. And uh, start over. And I would sometimes become a new person on the way. One time, I took on a Tennessee accent. To this day, I've never been in Tennessee. <laughs> but I knew somebody from Tennessee, and I thought I'd try being from Tennessee for a while. And uh, I probably wasn't very good at it. I just, I have no idea how they really talk, you know. I just, and I would just, uh, God, I just wanted to not be me. I just wanted to be somebody else. And part of the problem was, in spite of all these sort of things that I did that were supposedly really successful things. I mean, I, I have a PhD, and I was. Right out of college, I taught at a university, and uh, I mean, it was a you know, it was a big, prestigious university, and and I was the youngest person that taught there, and all this stuff, and and I would and I would think and I would think inside, you know, I just felt like a street kid. It was like I get nice clothes, and inside, I still felt like a street kid. And whenever I went to these good jobs, I would always feel like somebody's going to come up and say, "Excuse me, we just found out who you are, and you need to go." You know, and not only that, we're going to take away all your degrees and everything, because we, we, we know you, you can't really have those. And uh, so when I would feel that way, I would leave, and I would go somewhere else. And, uh, and I just kept doing that, and doing that, and doing that. And uh, it was just a horrible time, and during that time, my drinking was very unpredictable. I reached a point where I didn't know what was going to happen if I took a drink. Um, there were parts of the big book, and I'm going to tell you some stories out of my life that fit with those, because it meant so much to me when I could finally understand what the book was saying, because it described things that had happened to me that I had never understood and one of them is so I figured out a long time earlier that if I took a drink I did not know what was going to happen next I couldn't tell you I, I could sometimes just take one drink but I couldn't tell you if this was the time I was going to be able to do that or if this is the time that I was going to drink for 14 days I just didn't know which it was going to be um, and uh, and I sometimes I take one drink and black out and and uh, I wouldn't think you could do that with one drink, but what I probably did was take one drink and then I don't remember what the other <laughs> drinks were, but, you know, it just was like that, and that that was very puzzling, but I knew that really early on, a long time before I came to you, and one of my, when you do that get a grip thing, you have a lot of good jobs and bad jobs, you know, I'd have like a good job, and then I'd move and get a grip and have a bad job, and then I'd have a good job, and this is in one of my good job periods. I was director of this big agency, and I had a board of directors and these people were important people, you know, that had big positions and I would have to go meet with them. You know, and every time we'd have one of those board meetings, I'd think, well, this is the day they're going to find out. <laughs> this is the day they're going to stand up and go, excuse me, we know who you are and you've got to go. And I'd go in those board meetings and I, and they had them in the afternoon. I mean, that's not a good time for me. You know, <laughs> afternoon is not good. I might have been able to pull it off if they'd had it early in the morning, you know, but by afternoon I would have needed a drink. And I knew I couldn't drink on a board meeting day because I didn't know what would happen. I knew if I took a drink, I didn't know what would happen next. And, and I remember, and this happened over and over and over, but this one particular time that I want to tell you about was board, board meeting day. And all I wanted to do was not feel like a street kid. All I wanted to do was to get to a place where I could feel okay long enough to get through that meeting. And uh, so I went to this little French restaurant, and I wasn't going to have a drink. I knew I couldn't take a drink because I didn't know what would happen. I went to this little French restaurant. I was just going to order some food and they were going to treat me real nice and they'd pay a lot of money for the food and that I was going to try to keep that feeling till the board meeting. And uh, what happened was I started drinking and I don't know to this day, I don't remember ordering a drink, I just remember I was drinking. And I did something that for me is a very dangerous thing and that is I just went, oh, what the hell. And I had a lot of drinks. Next thing I know, I'm in the board meeting. And I don't know why, I had silly ideas when I was drinking, I'd have these brilliant thoughts and this day I thought if I sat real still, still, I'd look sober. (laughs) So I'm in the board meeting sitting real still trying to look sober And, uh, and that board meeting lasted three months, you know, I mean it just went on forever and I remember leaving that meeting and I went back to my house and I thought, what is the matter with you? There's something terribly wrong with you, you know, and if you had showed up at that moment and you had said to me, do you think you're an alcoholic? I would have said, are you kidding? I'm not an alcoholic. I didn't even take a drink till noon. You know, I'm not, I can't be an alcoholic. I have a job. And secretly, why I would have said that to you is because I knew that if you took alcohol away, I went crazy. Alcoholics for people had trouble swallowing alcohol. I had trouble with alcohol. I had a lot more trouble without it. So I didn't see how I could be an alcoholic. And uh, so I continued to do that. In that same period, I had you know the big book talks about we are. Uh, we had all these lives going, and I had all those lives going because while I had these good jobs in the daytime, I was still dr- drinking in these really sleazy bars at night—leather bars where they you know, cops come in the front and you go out the back, those kind. You fight with broken beer bottles, really classy places like that. And uh, and I remember one night I had been and I had been to that bar, and I and I, and I came home, and they would had a raid that night, and I in the bar, and cops had come, and there was fights and blood, and I left, and I got out, and I got out of there before the cops got me and I got home and I thought you got to stop this you cannot make headlines this will not the board of directors will not think this is good you know you have got to you're crazy you got to stop this and I didn't know what was wrong with me and I remember one day I was walking down the street with the president of the board now this is the part I hate where you I don't mind having all these separate lives but when they start to collide it's the part that <laughs> I'm walking down the street with the board of directors president and I see walking down the street one of the slime balls from my nightlife and my heart just stopped and I'm going God don't say hello don't recognize me don't recognize me and he did and we walked on by and you know what I think is a little strange today is it wasn't just that I didn't want the civilian to see me that I knew the slime ball I didn't want the slime ball to know that I was hanging out with really lame people like the civilian either. you know (laughs) I just wanted it all to stay separate I wanted it all to stay and so I had to leave you know so I had to pack up and go and get another job and go somewhere else and try to get a grip and And I just didn't know what was wrong. I just knew something was terribly wrong, and I didn't know what it was. Uh, My last run, I ran to Texas to go to graduate school, of course. (laughs) And uh, and uh, while I was there, something happened to me that I didn't know would happen. And that is that uh, it quit working. It just quit working. I would drink, and sometimes I would drink for several days and stay sober. I mean, mentally sober. My body would be drunk, and my mind would just be there. And it just quit taking the madness away. And I had to drink and I had the madness too and it was just horrible. And I did not know what was the matter. I never get this choked about. I don't know what this is. It doesn't look good for a tux bud. <laughs> okay, I'll get a grip in just a minute. I used to say that to my sponsor and she just laughed. Oh yeah, right. Go ahead. Anyway, I uh, uh, so I decided that it was God. God was mad at me for the way I was living. I thought I had my... Dad. I know you guys were all probably monks and nuns, but I kind of slept around some. I thought that was probably it, so I went back to church and got married. Um, I I liked him. He was in graduate school. I've known him three weeks. It had nothing to do with him anyway. I just wanted to get God off my ass. I figured that would do it, you know. And uh, it was a real surprise to me the next day when he planned to stay. (laughs) I mean, I just wanted to get married. I didn't want to be married, you know. But there we were, and uh, that didn't work that did not help whatever was wrong with me and it didn't get any better and things didn't get better and and i would try to quit drinking and then i was afraid he was going to find out who i was you know him then he was going to know and he was going to throw me out and and so we lived like that for a little while and then and i would go through periods of trying to quit drinking and periods of starting drinking he said something that was so true he said to me one day he said you know what you have a non-drinking problem and i said you're right about that you know give me whiskey and uh, we would just do that, and he he thought I should he thought I should go ahead and drink, but he thought I ought to act differently.
1: <laughs>
0: it's like one or the other, man. Either control or enjoy. Not to you know, I can't enjoy and control my drinking. I never have. And uh, anyway, I did that one day at a time, and I got pregnant. And uh, I couldn't believe it. I can promise you that when I was out there boosting cars and getting in people's faces, I did not ever plan to have a baby. And uh, I, I it was like you know. It's like okay, King's X, undo. I don't want to do this. And uh, it's like, oh, too bad. And I started this baby. And the reason I don't want to have that baby, most of all, was because I was afraid of what I'd do with him. You know, I thought I don't. I thought I don't, I'm not the. Kind, you know, I I had had a dog, and the dog got killed by the dog next door, and I was drinking, and I just didn't even go bother to see about it. And I thought that's the kind of mother I'll be. I'll have this baby, and I'll forget him. I'll leave him somewhere. Or I'll be mean to him. Or I'll hit him. Or I don't know. I'll hurt him. And I don't want to do that. And... Um, Being a bad mother is not sufficient birth control to keep you from having a baby, especially once you're already pregnant, and uh, so eventually I had this baby. And uh, when that baby was born, something happened to me that was just amazing, and that is that for the first time, I think for the first time in my life, I loved something. I was so surprised. I loved that little baby. It It was like through all that blackness and all that madness, there was just like this little ray of light that came through that just connected me to him. And now I had a new problem because now I really cared about him and I didn't want him to be with somebody like me. And I used to put that little boy to bed at night and I would say, to, not out loud, but in my mind, I would say to him, I'm so sorry you got me from Mother and I wish you had somebody else. And uh, I didn't want to hurt him. And I would get angry and I would just take anybody who was sitting close to me. I would we'll just take this baby. And, uh, and But I did hurt him. You know? And when I got sober, if I raised my voice, he'd run and get in the bathtub and put his arms over That's his head. And uh, uh, he, uh, that's the one I, that the babysitter lost. <laughs> uh, I just, it was just awful, and I won't drag this on. The end was very difficult. When I first started talking about um, my life in AA, I would skip the whole last part because it was so hard I couldn't even talk about it, I felt. Um, eventually I got to AA, and the way I got to AA was weird because I decided I finally just couldn't stand anymore. I got rid of that husband. Now I think maybe he's the problem. I get rid of him. Things didn't get better. I mean, I didn't kill him or anything. I just divorced him. (laughs) I clarify that? Got rid of him, you know? And uh, uh, now I've got this kid and I decided what would be the best thing for me and everybody else is to go back to my original solution and kill myself. And uh, so what I did was I got this job at the university and I got it because they had insurance. So my kid would be taken care of. I got somebody to come and live with me because I figured she'd get real close to my son and she'd take care of him and I put it in my will so that she'd feel sufficiently guilty to do it <laughs> and I, I went out and bought I got this really really bad loan on a car because I figured I might as well drive it till I died you know I had to pay all of that back um, and, uh, and I said about it and for some reason by this time I had voices and I thought the voices were God and the, I thought the voices and I had a deal that if I tried everything I'd never tried and prove it didn't work I'd be able to get out of here and uh, so anytime anybody suggested something to me I would go try it And so somebody said why don't you go to a shrink I said fine there's a shrink on campus now this guy was only there this part gives me chills this guy was only there for that part of that year but and I went to see him and he specialized in alcoholism I didn't know that and he said you know um," I didn't tell him much but it turns out if you just kind of go through your family history and a lot of them are dead (laughs) uh, or living on the street somewhere they figure out that there might be alcoholism running in your family and He said, you know, I think you might be at risk for alcoholism. Do you drink? Why did he ask us that? (laughs) I said, oh, a little. I mean, what do you think we're going to say? Yes, about two quarts. you know. So he said, well, I think you ought to quit that. And I said, okay. (laughs) And uh, somewhere along the line, this is all real fuzzy, and I can't get all the pieces together, but he also sent me to ACA. He said, I think you're at risk for alcoholism. Go to ACA. Or you're a child of alcoholics, whatever that is. So I said, how many times you got to go? He said, six. I said, fine. I'll go six five. So I went, and uh, I was surly and mean, and I didn't talk to any of them. I was just there doing my six, you know. And during that time, somebody gave me a tape. I didn't even know what these tapes were, but they gave me this tape, and I didn't want to listen to it. I figured it was, you know, a lecture on how, why you shouldn't drink or something. And But this is the other thing about me. I can't stand not knowing stuff, you know. Don't say something to me like, Talk to you. I've got something to tell you. I'll tell you later. I'll kill you if you don't tell me right now. <laughs> this is the kind of person I am. So she gives me this tape, and I'm not going to listen to the tape. But I can't stand not knowing what's on the tape. And every time I got in my car, I think, I wonder what's on that tape. And I go, I don't care. And I go, yeah, but I wonder what's on that tape. And finally, I go ah. And I put that tape in, and it was a tape by a person named June. And she told my story. I mean, she talked about her life, and she was talking about my life. It was the first time in my life I'd ever heard anybody who felt the way I felt and thought the way I thought, and had done the things I had done. And at the end of that tape, she said that she came to AA, and that what was wrong with her was she was an alcoholic. At the end of that tape, she talked about how she went in this meeting room, and she wanted to be dressed the way she was dressed, and she wanted to feel the way she felt, and she wanted to be who she was. And I thought, that'll never happen for me. But maybe I'll just get to a place where I don't want to kill myself all the time. I mean, maybe I'll just go and and see. I know I'm not an alcoholic, because quitting drinking doesn't do anything good for me. It makes me crazy. Eventually, I feel like I'm going to lose my mind. But I didn't have any place else to go. Made it a little bit simpler when you don't have anywhere else to go. And so I, um, so I went to this shrink, and he, and they. I had this big book, okay? I couldn't read the damn thing, but I had it. And uh, he said, uh, this is on a Monday. He said, why don't you quit drinking? And I said, fine. And I meant it. I mean, if you'd hooked me up to a lie detector that day, I would have told you. You can shoot me if I drink again. I'm not going to drink. I absolutely meant that. Two days later, on a Wednesday. I read a piece in the big book. It's the first sentence I ever read in the book or any other book at that time that I could read the whole sentence and keep all the words. And that sentence said, if you think you might be an alcoholic, step up to the nearest bar room and try a little controlled drinking. I said, that is a damn good idea. I closed the book. (laughs) I did not come and ask you what you meant by controlled drinking. I decided for myself that men drink all you can today and try to stop tomorrow. You know, I was always willing to think about stopping tomorrow and I went and got a bottle of whiskey and I poured a drink and I drank it. And it... I thought it was going to work. I thought it was finally going to work again. It just kind of went down and went, and I said, yes. And I drank another glass and I went stone sober. And I drank a third glass and I stayed sober. And I sat down in a chair in my living room and I thought, it's just over. No, it's just over. And I thought, I don't think I'm an alcoholic, but maybe I'll just go over there and maybe those people will be able to help me. And I started going to meetings. Now, they never offered a chip at the end of those meetings for several weeks. I had to just keep going to meetings so It wasn't weeks, it was days, several days I went to the meeting And in my meeting, what I heard him say Now this may not be what they actually said But all I heard him say was They would hold up the chip and they would say Does anybody want a chip to quit drinking for 24 hours? I thought it was like Krypton You know, you get the chip And then you, somehow you don't have to drink If you have this on you somewhere, you know So I knew I had to get it, you know But I didn't want to get it in front of all of you In fact, I didn't want to be with you um, there was somebody when I was about two years sober she said to me you know you didn't like me much when you first got sober did you and I said were you breathing in and out you know
1: <laughs>
0: that was pretty much my criteria you know I wasn't—I didn't have a lot of specific standards <laughs> if you were alive I didn't like you And so I know I had to get the Krypton so <laughs> finally got it I didn't tell them my name I, didn't, I sure didn't hug anybody I just got the Krypton I just went up there and they held it out and I took it and sat down and uh my son said, what would they give you that for? I said, "Hanging around. <laughs> uh, then they told me the bad news, which is that you have to come back and go to the meetings and be with the people. It was not a good idea. I did not want to be with the people. Um, I'm so glad they didn't have computer meetings when I got sober because I would be drinking going to computer meetings. I needed to be with the humans and I didn't want to be. And uh, I started going to meetings. I was not a newcomer of the year. <laughs> Uh, there weren't a lot of people standing in line wanting to sponsor me or talk to me Um, but there were a lot of people who tolerated me which is more than I'm willing to do on a lot of occasions (laughs) and uh, I wore a hat pulled down over my face uh, for the first three weeks when I took it off they thought I was new again (laughs) (laughs) nobody had seen my face and uh, what I would do in the meetings is I did the same thing I did everywhere else I went which is I went in the room I got a seat along the wall in the back I folded my arms and I glared at anybody who came anywhere close to me And uh, pretty much I could have like this whole area cleared out, you know. And That was how I went to meetings. And after the meeting, uh, people would offer me their phone number and I would throw it away and I would try to do it while they were watching. Uh, Because I wanted you to know that I was fine. I was just fine and I didn't need your help. Um, They would say get a sponsor. That would have required that I talk to one of you, so I wasn't going to do that. Now, if there are any newcomers think this sounds like a good plan, I want you to know that after two weeks I was in a bar. (laughs) Didn't work out too well for me hasn't worked out too well for anybody I've watched try it that way and I went back uh, to the meeting I had one phone number I had kept out of all those numbers people gave me and it was somebody who did not offer it to me I just heard her say something in the meeting that sounded like the way I was thinking and I went up to her and asked her for a number she didn't even write it down she just set it over her shoulder she acted like I wasn't worth bothering with so I figured she had good judgment and I kept it (laughs) Um, so that night when I came back from the bar I called her and uh, this is the level of honesty I had when I got sober I said uh, I'm just calling you to practice she said, how are you? I said, I'm fine. I just came from a bar. She said, how are you really? And for a reason I don't understand, I told her. I said, this isn't gonna work. I don't know how to do this. I don't wanna, I don't wanna do this. I can't, I can't, I just can't stand this anymore. And she did something which for me is the magic of Alcoholics Anonymous. She didn't ask me any questions. She didn't give me any lectures. She didn't tell me. She just started talking about herself and what it was like for her and how she drank, what happened to her. And uh, and she was, enough, there was enough in there that was like me that I could hold on to that. It was like a light coming through the dark, and I would just hold on to it. She said, "Call me tomorrow," and I called her the next day, and I called her the next day, and I called her the next day. She just kept sharing her experience, and uh, un- until I could hear enough, you know. And uh, she believed in taking the steps quick, and we did, man. We whipped through them, um, and uh, and I and I had to. I'm really glad I did that because I got just enough to to be able to stay sober. I had tried to kill both of my parents, and I felt real bad about that. I used to sit in the meetings, and people would say. You know, i used to think i was really bad but i never tried to kill anybody and i think well i did you know maybe i'm too bad for aa and uh, uh and i had to tell her about that and i told her about that and i was able to get that i got a little bit of relief from that and now uh, we talk about something else and i get a little bit more relief from that and uh I, she was the only person i would talk to which is also not a good way to do it but it's the way i did it and uh, she finally told me one day she said i'm not going to talk to you until you talk to at least one other member of this group because you're going to get she said what if i get drunk or what if i die and i thought you can't do that. Well, what would happen to me? You know. <laughs> and uh, and the sad part about that is that she didn't even stay for the whole rest of my first year. This woman who saved my life. She taught me that if you watch people, they'll teach you what to do and what not to do. And she taught me both. Um, that uh, that was my beginning in AA. There were people betting against me that thought I wouldn't make it for a year. Um, most of the people in my group thought that. There were also some people, unfortunately, who underestimated the power of Alcoholics Anonymous, and they would come up to me and they would say things like, you know, you're too screwed up for AA, you need to go to therapy. And it would make me so sad because I knew that if you couldn't help me, nobody could. You were the only place I'd ever heard any kind of hope of anybody who was like me, and if you couldn't help me, then all I had left was just to live until I could find a way to die. And uh, so I never did that. I just did the program, and there were enough other people that I heard on tape and other places who said AA works and it will work for anybody and if you just do it, and I just kept coming, and I just kept doing it. Um, there were people, uh, I was six months sober, one of the people in my group came up to me and said, you know, I was afraid of you when you first got here. And I said, good, you know. I wasn't a quick study <laughs> in AA. And, uh, but gradually, things started to change for me, and they taught me to go to work. And they taught me, I remember one of the first things my sponsor taught me was, she said, go home, put your hands on Matthew's shoulder, look at It was one of the hardest things I did. I'd never looked at eyes. i never looked at anybody in the eyes. And I did that. And we started there. And our relationship started to thin. Um, uh, There were just a lot of things. I want to tell you some of the stories that were important. There were a lot. I mean, I had a lot of adventures. You come into AA with the kind of attitude I have. You learn a lot of things. You have a lot of experiences. But I'll try to pick some uh, that I think are particularly important. Uh, One of them is about that husband that I had uh, who became my ex-husband. I used to refer to him as my son's ex-father. My sponsor made me quit that. Uh, And uh, when I first got sober, he would come to get his son. I would open the door, put him out, and slam the door and uh, i don't know how she knew i was doing that she'd snitches somewhere and she told me to quit that That so i had to let him in i mean just because he's 20 below doesn't seem to me like he needs to come in but anyway <laughs> she told me i had to let him come in and i had to talk to him a little bit and i did that and i had to make amends to him i had to give all his stuff back which really was annoying and i did that and and i made amends and and uh uh You know, we had had this kind of relationship where if if there was something going on at my son's school, we'd split it. Like if it was a three-hour thing, I'd go for an hour and a half, hand off the kids, he'd go for an hour and a half. You know, it was that kind of a deal. And one one day, and he's coming, and he's talking. By now, he's back in graduate school. So we've got stuff to talk about. He'd come in, and we'd start talking. One day, we're at the school, and he went down this side, and I went down this side. And, you know, I don't know what it was as a result of doing all those amends and all that stuff. And I thought, you know, this is just too much effort. This is just, just too damn hard to keep this up. And I went over to his side, and there was a chair left in that auditorium right next to him, I sat by him. And we got up and we walked all around that school after that, and, and I told him everything he wanted to know about his son. And he asked me all questions. And every year after that, he sent me a card on Mother's Day. I told him what a good job, he told me that he thought I was a good mother, and I was doing a good. Job. And he became a friend. I mean, he just became a good friend of mine. He remarried, and, uh, but he would come over to pick up my son, and we would talk. And so we got, had such long conversations that Matthew would come out and go, could we please go? I mean, he's here for me, you know. Would you, would you let him leave, you know? And uh, he got, he just got to be a good friend of mine. And uh, a year ago last May, um, was it a year ago? Yeah, a year ago last May, he died suddenly of a heart attack. And uh, that was a real important event for me for a lot of reasons. One was that um, I could, I had no unfinished business with him. He knew I loved him. I knew he loved me. And at the funeral, I was able to go to the funeral and help my son with that. Um, people, friends of his, came up to me at the funeral and told me how much I had meant to him. And the, But the biggest gift of all was that I had spent all that time in AA thinking that there was going to be something outside of me that would happen that would bring the madness back. It was so hard for me to believe that AA took the madness away like alcohol did. It did it gradually, but it stayed away. It didn't just push it out here and it would come back. It's... It stayed gone, and I thought, something like that's going to happen, and all that madness is going to come back. And what I found out was I was sad. It was a shock. I mean, it was like in 30 seconds, everything changed. Um, and it was a shock, and it was sad, and I felt incredible grief, both for myself and my son, But the madness did not come back. It was just sad. I was just sad. And that was when I understood that Alcoholics Anonymous will work. And that if I keep doing it, I'll never have to feel that madness again. I'll never have to live in that again if I keep doing it. One of the things I learned this weekend is somebody told me, Bob told me, that the madness is still there. And if I quit doing Alcoholics Anonymous, it'll come right back. Uh, and that's real important information because I don't ever, ever want to go back to that again. And, you know, the funny thing is, is I have a lot of nice things today. I have a nice job and a nice kid and a nice house and all this stuff. And none of it makes any difference. If you came to me tomorrow and said we're going to take all of that away from you, I would say, well, that's too bad because I'll miss it. But if you can't take away what you've given me inside, if I'm the only one who can take that away from me, all the rest of that just doesn't make any difference. Um, I made amends for stealing. That was sort of an interesting adventure because um, the uh, I had this group, guy groups on my on my uh, amends list that I didn't know what to do about. Like, and one of them was all these people I stole from. I mean. Do you go to like every city you ever lived in and knock on doors and say, excuse me, you know, were you missing a turn signal lever from your car? You know. <laughs> I stole 126 of those one night, and I don't know why. Uh, the part I really don't know, I don't know why I counted them, you know. I mean, I've always been puzzled about that, and then today I thought, I don't know why I still remember how many of them there were. Okay, this <laughs> is very strange, but just one of my little deals. Anyway, so I didn't know what to do about all those people. And uh, what no and, and but I I also used to sit in the meetings. I was not sorry that I was a thief when I first got sober. Those seemed first of all unrelated. I didn't understand why you thought it was important that I do something about that. I certainly didn't feel guilty about it. And I would sit in meetings unfortunately and I would say things like, I remember this guy one day couldn't start his car and he had to wait for a locksmith. He was whining about it. I said if he'd been a car thief he'd been in there in five minutes. Well, one day I had this bike that I really liked and I rode it everywhere. It wasn't a big deal, it was just my bike. And I rode it everywhere and I always chained it to the front window and one day I came out and my bike was gone and I looked everywhere for it. I mean, I looked places that it couldn't be, you know. I just looked all over I couldn't find a bike I thought, somebody stole my bike. I couldn't believe it, you know. I went to my office and I stood outside to work with a cup of coffee so I could get everybody who came by and whine about how somebody stole my bike. It come right up on my porch and took my bike, you know, and I went to the meeting. I went early. So I could tell everybody about this terrible thing
1: <laughs> that had
0: happened. And I stood out in the hallway and people came up and I told them about this terrible deal. And this one friend of mine said, well, you know, was it an expensive bike? I said, no. I said, but don't you understand? They came on my porch. I mean, they came right up on my porch and they took my bike. And don't you know how that makes me feel? And I walked in that room where I'd been bragging about being a thief. And I just stopped dead, you know. And I understood for the first time what I stole. So I didn't steal their stuff. That wasn't any big deal, knew stuff. I stole their security. I stole their ability to put something somewhere to get it. I stole their feeling of being safe from people like me coming in their house or coming on their porch or coming and them knowing I'd been there. And I'd, I'd never understood that before. And when I understood that, I immediately knew how to make amends for that. Immediately. And I did that. And I made those amends until today. I no longer feel like a thief. If you came in the room tonight and you had said, everybody in here is a thief, please raise your hand, I would not. I don't feel like a street kid today. I don't feel like in fact it's so weird because i've gotten to a place where all of that feels like almost like another person it's like oh i almost want to go listen i have a good friend she was a little goofy but <laughs> let me tell you about her life you know uh, because you've given me a life that is so different from that i had a little trouble at work you can imagine <laughs> and uh, i the first year i was there I was still drinking so i did some really creative things like install light sockets all over the floor of one of the labs stuff like that and I would erupt in faculty meetings which they were and uh, so then when I got sober I thought I should quit my job (laughs) that seemed really clear to me my sponsor said no stay there and learn how to work Uh, and uh, so I stayed there now if you stay at a university all the tenured people evaluate you all of them and they put all that together and they write you a letter and they wrote me a letter and it said that I was um, marginally acceptable and so I thought I should quit I called my sponsor. I thought, now I have evidence. And I called her. I said, listen, I need to quit. They don't appreciate me over there. She said, no, I think you should stay there and learn how to work. They teach them that in sponsor school. I don't know. But <laughs> so I stayed another year. I got another letter. The letter said I was marginally acceptable. I had no discipline, and I couldn't get along with anybody. Now yeah, I really thought I'd quit. And, and I had a new sponsor. So I thought, well, I'll, she'll surely. She'll let me quit. And I said, listen, I need to quit. She said, no, I think you need to stay there and learn how to work. That, there's no getting out of this, change sponsors, they say the same stuff, you know. So she said, I want you to go to your department chair and say, I need help, I want help, and I'll do whatever you say. And I said, listen, she's not NAA. you know. You can't say stuff like that to civilians, you know. And she, so she hung up. <laughs> and um, so I went to my department chair. You know, she had one line for me, my sponsor did, and it was like, would you rather be employed or sober? You know, um, that was her only answer to any why question I ever asked her. Why do I have to do that? She'd say, well, we're doing better than you oh <laughs> okay you know she wasn't big on explanations. so I went over there and I said I need help I want help I'll do whatever you say and I had to go have this conference with her and I had to find out exactly what they meant by has no discipline can't get along with anybody marginally acceptable well I, I told my sponsor I said I know what they mean by can't get along with anybody they're talking about all that stuff I did my first year where I would just like erupt that's what they're talking about she said I don't care what your theory is I want you to go find out what they actually mean so I couldn't resist. I, t- I said to my department chair, no, listen, I know what you mean by this, and I told her my theory. She said, oh, no, that isn't it at all. They don't like how you're treating them now. Well, that had never occurred to me. She said, I don't know where you've been, but you do some very odd things. You just don't seem to know some real basic things about human life. She said, like when you go up and ask somebody a question, as soon as you get enough of the answer for you, you just walk off. They're still talking. You know?
1: <laughs>
0: she said, they don't like that. And uh, she said, when you run into somebody, you say, get out of my way. They would like you to say, excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the worst part is I had to repeat all this to my sponsor. I had to take notes, I had to call my sponsor, tell them what they said. And she said, watch the people around you and try to do what they're doing. (laughs) Maybe you can catch on to this. So I did that. And uh, then fast forward a few years, and I got another evaluation. That year, I went in. And what they do is they have, like, all the letters you got before and this year. And this guy, and it was the look I used to get coming out of blackouts, and I never got it for anything good until this moment. And the guy was looking at me, and he was looking at this, and he was looking at this, and he was looking like, I don't believe this. And he said, I don't know how you did this. He said, you know, I just laughed. And I thought, you can't get from there to there. I know that. And what I laughed about is I didn't do it. (laughs) I can't. You know, what I'm capable of, you heard what I'm capable of. (laughs) When I'm running my life, that's how it goes. And uh, when I'm not running my life and I'm just showing up and I'm h- under the direction of a higher power through you guys, that's the kind of stuff that happens to me. And it was just cool. And the following year, uh, I guess it's been two years ago now, I got tenure at that university. And that means that they're going to live with you forever. And the dean made a special trip into my office to tell me that there was not one person to... Um. I talk some talk time where? Okay. Um, There was another thing I want to talk about, because when I was sober, I know this isn't what you said, but this is the way it sounded to me. It sounded to me like people would say, I drank, and it was awful, and I came to AA, and I got a house and a car and a job, and everything's wonderful. (laughs) And that was not my experience. And when I would hear those people say that, I would want to go hit them. You know, I would just want to go see how this feels, you know. Now, are you having fun? You know, it would just make me mad, because I would be sitting there, and early on, I couldn't sleep, and I was having a hard time. I just... I had a real hard time for a long time in this program, and uh, it was like AE boot camp. I mean, I just went to two or three meetings a day, and I read the big book over and over and over, and I tried to do everything everybody suggested to me, and and I always felt like I just barely had my nose above. Um, When I was about, and I I get the dates all mixed up in here, but it was about three and a half years sober, something happened to me that I had always secretly been afraid would happen, and that is I came in the meeting, and all of a sudden, you guys just kind of went to black and white, and it just felt like I'd never been here before, I'd had three and a half years of feeling like I had finally found a place that I fit and I belonged and who I was, and all of a sudden it didn't feel that way anymore. And they all just felt like strangers to me. And gradually it got so painful. And, and I was going to meetings, and I was saying yesterday a request, and I was doing all the things I was asked to do. And I have to also tell you that if you go to a meeting and do nothing to think about yourself through the whole meeting, you can stay really sick going to meetings. And that's what I was doing. I was in the meeting. I'd walk in the meeting, and I'd think, oh no, he's cheering. God, I don't want to be in this meeting. You know, and then they have a topic, and I go, who wants to talk about the 11th step? What a stupid topic, you know? And I would just have this little commentary going, so I wasn't really in the meeting, but I would take my body to a meeting, and, uh, and it got real painful, and it got real bad, and I got to a place on back, and I didn't know what to do. Um, what I did, first of all, was I fired my sponsor. I really recommend that. Get rid of the only person who's trying to help you. <laughs> and I had, like, a, some sponsor's du jour, you know? Just somebody say something, I go ask them to sponsor me, and then never call them, and, uh, And it was just getting really, really bad. And finally one day I called this lady that I had taken my fifth step with who had been sober quite a while and lived in another town. And I said, um, you know, I said, I'm going crazy and AA doesn't seem to be working anymore and I don't know what to do and I'm fixing to kill myself. And she said, uh, I didn't say that, I said, I I don't know what to do. And she said, well, you know, you're too screwed up for AA and you're going to have to go to therapy. And I got the phone and decided to kill myself because if you couldn't help me, nobody could and you know if I was looking for therapy I know how to spell that I would have looked in the phone book I was looking for AA and this lady was sending me somewhere else and I, I, went, I was going to try one more meeting and I went to that meeting and the sponsor I had fired was there and she said you don't look too good what's going on I said I'm fixing to kill myself AA doesn't work it's not enough I told her what this lady had said she said why don't you call June and ask her if AA is enough and that was the person who was taped he was the only person on earth that I really trusted she's just like me and so I called her up and she didn't know me I called her up and I said, this is Sherry in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm fixing to kill myself and I want to know if A is enough. She said, if you're going to kill yourself, I'm going to hang up.
1: <laughs> 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 but if you, won't, if
0: you promise me not to kill yourself, I'll share my experience, strength and hope. We talked to me and she talked to me like she didn't have one other thing to do that day. She just talked to me and she told me a story about a pony. And she told me and at the end of our little conversation, she said, I'm going to tell you something you do not. She said, you do not have deep psychological problems. She said, the only thing wrong with you is you're selfish and self-centered and you seem to have a really bad case of it. <laughs> and she said, self-centeredness doesn't mean you think well of yourself. It doesn't even mean you think of yourself often. It means that's all you think about. <laughs> and she said, what I want you to do for the next three and a half days, I want you to do nothing but work with others. Go to a hospital, see somebody, whether you know them or not. Go to a nursing home, see somebody, whether you know them or not. Go to the meeting, instead of listening for what you can get, figure out what you can give somebody else. Find somebody who doesn't have any money, slip them five dollars when they're not looking. Find somebody who's sick, go over and do their dishes. And the one thing I had learned in AA by then was I had learned that if I ask somebody for help, I'm going to do exactly what they say without me intervening with my mind to try to evaluate whether I think that's a good idea. There's only one thing I ever thought was a good idea the first time I heard it. It's in the big book and it says eat chocolate. The rest of it, (laughs) all the rest of it I had to do it first and then I thought it was a good idea. so what I did was I did exactly what she said. Now, I'm not willing to tell you right off that I thought I was self-centered, but I will tell you, it took me half a day to think of one thing I could do for another human being. <laughs> and I did those things that she asked me to do and at the end of three and a half days, I was cured <laughs> by deep psychological problem. What was wrong with me? She was right. And that was all that was wrong with me. It turns out that that madness is right behind me turning inward and looking at myself and thinking about myself. And so I would go out and do things for other people and then it would work, and I would quit doing it, and it would get painful, and I would start doing it, and it would work, and I would quit doing it, and it would get painful, and uh, I just bounced for a while. You know, we talk about hitting bottom. I just bounced. So I'd hit bottom and bounce and hit bottom and bounce. And, hit. and the reason I didn't keep doing it is because it's, it's, who wants to do that, you know? <laughs> Go work with others and do stuff for them? I don't think so, you know. So I wanted to find another way, you know, and I would. it was real intense. I didn't know they meant, like, all the time. It turns out it says right in the book, She pointed this out to me later. It says right in the book, our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depend upon our constant thought and how we can meet their needs. And she said it says constant, not uh, which was the approach I was taking.
1: Um,
0: I also, uh, so I tried that for a little while and and it wasn't, I was was still, I was intermittently doing okay, but not great. And uh, finally I called her and I asked her to be my sponsor, Um, which I didn't want to, but that same old sponsor who told me to call her in the first place Came by one day and she's watching me have these sponsors du jour and watching me bounce. And she just looked me in the face and she said, you know what? I'm tired of watching you die. Why don't you call June and ask her? I said, well, I can't do that. She said, why not? I said, she lives in California. <laughs> she said, so what? <laughs> you know, you got a phone, you can call her up. I said, no, listen, I can't do that. She said, why, are you scared? I said, no, no. <laughs> you know, that's, no, that's not it. I said, it's just that when, when I think about calling her, I get this like cold feeling in my stomach. <laughs> And uh, she said, well, she said, you know, I think that's because you admire her more than anybody in the world. And you want to be the way she is. I think I'll call a sponsor. She said, I think you better call her up. And I called her. And I'll tell you the truth. I called her because I knew she'd say no. And then I could say to my sponsor, see, I did that. And she said no. And uh, so I called her up and I said, you know, this is Sherry. And, and uh, I want to know if you'll be my sponsor. And she said yes. And I said, that's okay. Thank- what?
1: What? <laughs> like what do you mean yes you know? and
0: uh, she gave me some rules about how we were going to do that and I've been doing that and uh, you know it's just amazing because my sobriety has really taken off since I've been calling her I know it's not her I mean I know in my mind I know it's not her secretly in my heart I believe it is uh, but it's my higher power and I look at that and I look at how our lives were brought together I mean over and over like that and uh, the thing is, is she's the one person on the whole face of this earth that I absolutely trust totally Um, When I call her, I can never hang up and say, you just don't understand. You know, (laughs) She's been places I haven't even thought about being. I mean, she went way further out there than I did and then way further into sobriety than I've ever been. And uh, she's the most amazing person I've ever met. And she understands exactly where I how I think. And when I used to first call her, I would call her up. I made a decision when I started calling her that every time I call her, I'm going to tell her the truth and I'm going to do what she says. And I make that decision every time I call. And when I call her up and she would start talking to me, I'd go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she'd go, no, that's how I used to think. <laughs> and then she'd say something that just sounded like Greek. And I'd go, okay, I'll try to believe that. You know? And she taught me a lot of neat stuff. She said to me one day, she said, you know, if you're going to go out and look at the world, and she taught me to, she constantly teaches me to look for the good things that are happening. I had this period of time where I had a real run of bad luck, and I, I kind of enjoyed it because I thought, now this time I'm in a car, she can't say this is self-centered. I mean, any human being would have trouble with this. There's a bunch of, I've been dumped by somebody I was dating, my dog ran off, my pipes, my water pipes broke, my car broke now there's one other thing I don't remember what it was How that any human being would be upset about this and I called up and I'm telling her all this and she said you know you're right any human being would be upset about that and she said you know if you go out and you spend the whole day talking to other people and you tell them about all these terrible things that are happening in your life they'll agree with you and at the end of the day you will have had a really bad day <laughs> or you can spend the whole day talking to other people about how glad you are that you can finally care enough about somebody that hurts when they leave and you can finally care enough about a dog a dog and you have a house that can have water pipes and you have a car that can break down. And she said, you'll find a lot of people agree with you. At the end of the day, you'll have a good day. And I tried that because I knew it wouldn't work. (laughs) And I had a fine day and I did that and they didn't fix my water pipes for three weeks. And that relationship never came back and the dog never came back and the car stayed broken. And at, at the end of three weeks, I was over at my neighbor's house getting water to take home in one of those little cans And she said to me, you mean you still don't have water? And I said, no, I don't. She said, I can't believe how calm you are about this. And I didn't explain to her about how. She'd just spend time talking to people about how glad she's going to have a house. She could stay calm too. (laughs) My son uh, is 14. And he and I have had a long, long road. He started going to Alateen in October, um, which has changed his life and changed my life. I don't know what it was, but as soon as he started going to Alateen, as soon as I knew you had him, I didn't have to worry about him so much. And he came to Alateen, and he came to Alateen just the way I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. He has that same hunger that I had, and he found you, and he just hung on to you. And he's been to Alateen ever since. He goes to all the conferences. He goes every Wednesday night. I mean, at first I thought he was just going because those kids all have punk haircuts and smoke, but... I, I don't think that's it you know I don't think that's it I think he really has his own program and as soon as he had his own program I could let him be you know I could let him alone and let him be and I do love that little boy today and I understand that I don't think I'm very good about letting him know that um, but um, but uh, there's still room I still have a little bit of time I'm so grateful that he was six when I got sober and that I still have time to learn how to be a mom um, I've, I've, I've tried to learn but it's not about they keep telling me all I have to do is look at what I'm doing I don't have to look at how he's doing with it, I have to look at what kind of mom I'm being, um, and, and you know, the funny thing is, is he's doing a real good job of being 14, he's doing a better job than I ever thought about, you know, I don't think that, I look at him and I imagine he's doing what I was doing, you know, I came around the corner one night, it was 2 in the morning, I woke up, I the lights on, I heard a sound, I thought, he's in the living room, he's drinking and watching porno films, <laughs> <clears throat> unfortunately, I ran out there and shared that with him, he went over there and said, Betty, what are you doing, and he said, reading a book about electronics, of course you are anyway those are some of the adventures that you've given me there's a part of the big book that I love very much I love all of the big books but I especially love this one line that says the miracles the age of miracles is not all